Uh, hi, all. Welcome. It is Wednesday night, Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And my goodness, how many possibly good things could come in one night? Jen? It was a good election day yesterday. Let's just say that. We don't get them too often. It was a good election day. But every once in a while, they do happen. And what do we do when we have a good election day? Celebrate. We, I mean, you know, we try to be gracious, but it's hard when you have got such sore losers out there. Like, yes. what's his name? Smelly Kelly. Smelly Kelly is an interesting nickname. I, I must say, I didn't give it to him. By the way, that was who? Who was it who told us that's what they call him? Oh, I don't know. Somebody was on the show and said they call him Smelly Kelly. Oh, 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 crap! Oh, um, oh, oh! It was Braden, our, uh, our one of our Gen yeah, Z yeah, guys, because he lives Kelly. there because he that's lives right. in Wisconsin. Well, he certainly made himself look like an even greater just a douchebag. Said. Uh, Just looks like something a very interesting came across the wire. So as of right now, uh, you were under the illusion that only one person was running for president in the Democratic Party for 2024. Well, move over, Marianne. You got a little company coming your way. Robert Kennedy Jr. is running for president in the Democratic Party. Wow. Even even pre any sort of announcement official from Biden. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. I definitely agree. And I don't think I'm necessarily a fan or a supporter in any way. I will tell you this. (laughs) I don't Uh, think so. I'm trying to think where I know that. RFK is going to be a very interesting candidate because he was as anti-vax as it gets. And we all know how that does not how that sits in the Democratic Party. So it's almost like he was an anti-vaxxer. Oh, big time. Interesting. So then he's not like a normie centrist Dem. No, I would not say. I don't know enough. I don't know enough about him. He's married to Cheryl Hines. I don't know enough about him. A little curb your enthusiasm in there. All right. Double K, great to see you. Junior, yes. I think we're all a fan of a little bit of electoral chaos. Absolutely. We're going to get that no matter what. Yes, and and the GOP side is going to be so fun to watch. Oh, so fun to watch. It's totally my party, and I'll cry if I want to. It's definitely his to lose, seemingly. And this, it's sort of like him being indicted. It's only... I, I honestly don't think it has any impact. It's sort of like if you've been impeached twice and you still are the person that's still considered a forerunner for your party's nomination, why would this really have any impact unless there's something that legally stops him from running, which I don't think that there, I've heard anything that does. Look, Eugene Debs ran for president in prison. Now, of course, he didn't win but he ran for president in prison. So can it be done? Yes. And I'm just like, I honestly think that he is like, you know, when you think about like evolution, but like the roaches are going to outlive us all. Like they'll be here post-nuclear Holocaust. Like they will be the roaches. He's like a roach. Like they cannot get rid of him. That's what it seems like. And he, and, and because of that, and so many of these things, I, I am sure are legitimate. I, my understanding is that all of these um, charges are related to the Stormy Daniels situation. They're all related to that. Is that true? Yes. Okay. Yeah. See, that's not something that I personally give a shit about. I no, just don't. I don't blame you because I think it's a complete waste anyway. So. Yeah. I mean, and again, whatever, let justice be served, but that's not the kind of thing that's going to really do anything to him. Like, I, I don't, I don't see how that. To him. Well, I don't, I got to pause this for a second Please. so that everybody can see it. Uh, but the double K, we love you. And obviously I will consider that a celebratory gift to our channel since obviously we have really been covering 
the Wisconsin Supreme Court race. We're very pleased. We've got tons to cover. So And Chicago's mayor. Yes. Chicago's mayor. So, Chicago has like a potentially really good mayor. No, situation. I would say for that contribution, that we definitely have to go for the first one that is on the docket here. So uh, this is going to cover um, the Wisconsin Supreme Court race is tremendously key. Now, apparently there is a caveat to it. And maybe, you know, KK and a few others can speak to this. But apparently the GOP still has a two thirds majority. Now, what that allows them to do potentially is kick judges off the court. Now, are they going to really get in the mud on this? Oh, well, in, if, if what Smelly Kelly is any indication based on what he said last night, even though he literally got his ass kicked, is, yeah, they're going to fight dirty because that's what they do. It's not like it was even close. Like no. if it was. Uh, but that's the thing. It's like you could have sour grapes and you could claim whatever, like, you know, improprieties or whatever. But when it's this much of like a, a beating. It's just you really don't. It's not good. It's not a good look to be complaining about it. Well, let's show the audience exactly what we're talking about. Um, Can you pronounce can can you pronounce her name? No, I'm calling her Judge Janet P. Judge Janet P. I can get on (laughs) board with that. We can just call Judge P. So. This is what happened last night. Prosowitz. I I don't want to. I just I just Judge P. Okay, Judge P. I, and trust me, I think she'd be cool with that. I think she would as well. She understands. Her name is not. Yeah, Fair I'm enough. not. <laughs> is, um, is projected a result in the very important Wisconsin wow. Supreme Court wow. election tonight. Uh, Janet Protasiewicz is uh, the more liberal of the two candidates. Dan Kelly, the more conservative of the two candidates. The most consequential election in the country in the year 2023. The more liberal of the two judicial candidates here. This has very big consequences for Wisconsin and indeed for the country. Uh, I will just point out a couple of things here. Um, This may very well mean that there is a deciding vote in the Wisconsin Supreme Court that results in abortion being legal in Wisconsin instead of illegal. It also means that Wisconsin, which is arguably the most gerrymandered state in the country, may finally get what are considered to be fair maps rather than radical Republican maps. Uh, And now the majority on the Wisconsin Supreme Court for the first time in more than a decade will flip from hard right conservative control to progressive control. NBC News um, has projected a result in the very important Wisconsin I don't know what we're allowed to do. So, yes, this is obviously a significant outcome and it but but here I'm going to I'm going to offer a unique critique of what has happened. And unique yes, Smelly critique. and Smelly Kelly of course came out and said I will not dignify this woman. It is he basically said that he would concede if there was a candidate worthy of conceding to. But here's the thing. Smelly How pathetic Kelly, of a candidate can you be if you can't even admit that you lost to somebody? And here's and, and this is one of the reasons I love Bo as much as I love Bo, as he said. Yeah. He's like, um, that's the beauty of elections. You don't need to concede. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Especially well, elections won by this margin. Well, the only time you really do ever have to worry about conceding is if it's within the margin of error. That's about it. Because then, right. depending on how close it is, could be a recount. He lost by almost 20 points. It's the- so, dude, just shut the F up. <laughs> Swear to God. But I will say this, and Double K, I won't it, is a, it is a great day because the significance of Janet P. becoming the Supreme Court justice in Wisconsin means the following. 
the judiciary now flips four to three from conservative to liberal. So what that means now is three things are going to occur as a result if things play out the way that they should. Abortion rights are now secure in Wisconsin. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. I'd say that their archaic law will likely be overturned, but I would not say that anything is safe anywhere. Fair, fair enough. Uh, especially because of the the federal Supreme Court that we have. Fair enough. Uh, do they want that fight? I'm going to explain why I don't think they do in a minute. Number two, fair district maps, very likely to occur as a result of this. States like Ohio, New York, Florida, not so fair. It must be very important for whoever has it in a corrupt manner to keep it so, or this wouldn't have been such a valuable thing, the position for them. So that to me screams some sort of something funky there in Wisconsin. If you're worried about your party can't win unless your corrupt gerrymandering stays intact, that's that's not, that doesn't speak well. Definitely not a good look. Uh, and then of course, you know, what you also have to remember is that if you're going to ungerrymander the districts, uh, one of the key caveats here is that currently oh, thank you, Doug. in Wisconsin, the Republicans hold a two thirds majority in the state house. Now, how would that look if it were fair maps? Uh, it would flip quite a bit, maybe even flip even, maybe even flip blue. You never know. And then finally, of course, you're talking about voting rights. You know, a lot of times everyone talks about voting rights. Most of it is B.S., but the fact of the matter is, when the as Double K points out, the gerrymandering in Wisconsin is so bad that what ends up happening is you get a lot of voter suppression. Not that they can't vote, but they choose not to because there there's is no, no point. point. So, we get that. Like I understand that just from our experiences in certain parts of this place. I look. I lived in Texas in the 2000 Bush Gore election. Ch talk about no point. Jr. I feel you. One thousand percent correct. Uh, Scott Walker was the Frankenstein monster, if you will, of the Koch brothers. It is essentially what started this whole thing. I can still remember the night that Ann Coulter was on Bill uh, Maher back uh, in June of 2015. I remember uh, it, was like it was yesterday when she said who was going to be the Republican nominee. She said Donald Trump. And that was when everybody laughed at her and thought that she was nuts. Of course, I didn't think she was nuts. Oh, I think she's nuts, but not because of that. That's Well, she's nuts because she's just, you know, she's just nuts. Doesn't mean she's not smart. Uh, but her ticket oh. at the time that she wanted for president in 2015 was Romney Walker. So it just goes to show you how absolutely how much lunacy exists. But it's amazing how, you know, you take a state like Wisconsin, which is a very working class, Rust Belt, very working much. union type state, mm. and you get into a situation where you have the minority controlling a majority, and it is because of gerrymandering. So then the question is, what will it look like if the districts are fair? I don't think things would necessarily change as much as people think they will that dramatically. In most places, like I, I think you'll see some shifts, but I don't think you'll see as much of changes as people think they'll see from ungerrymandering. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, the thing that you're going to have to look out for and, you know, Double K, anybody else who may be catching this podcast tonight. Uh, my understanding is that the GOP still holds a two thirds majority in the House. Uh, love what you, doll. Saying? We really What's, do. Look at Stata that. Scotty and Union what is Doug saying? Uh, John Nichols did the majority port. Uh, I like oh, Nichols. John, yeah. 
should have asked John to come on. Well, we can reach out and ask John to come in. I really like him. He's been on a couple times. John Nichols of the Nation is definitely, in terms of journalists, definitely one of our favorites. Yeah, he's that. To me, he's like in the top few people we've had on. You guys are definitely going to want to tune in for the Gen Z report tomorrow night. Not only is Jen going to be on the podcast, but who else is going to be joining? Harvey K is coming on to be talking labor and um, stuff with our Gen Zers. As well as, I think his name is William Butler, I want to say. Let me check. So we'll have, it'll be really interesting. I I was, you know, Harvey wanted. William Walter of Our Revolution Wisconsin will be coming on as well. And he is Gen Z. So that will be a very interesting interesting. conversation. Yeah. So Double K and anybody else who could potentially speak to this, my understanding is that because the GOP still holds a two thirds majority in the House, they still have the ability to potentially uh, or at least try to impeach uh, the the judges. If there is any truth to that, uh, that was something I heard today. And obviously we would want to know because that is pretty significant knowing that they're going to really get into the mud and try to play dirty in terms of avoiding the inevitable, which is, and again, the abortion rights issue, changing the maps. Uh, that is great. And Harvey will, I'm sure, be able to speak to that when he comes on tomorrow. That was the other thing that, you know, the the Gen Z kids have been very like invested in yeah. this race. Um, one of our kids is actually in Wisconsin. He won't be on tomorrow, um, but it has been very good inside information into what goes on up there. That's where we got Smelly Kelly. Well, thankfully, <laughs> Smelly Kelly is no more. But what I am going to add, and I think this is very important for people to understand regarding this Wisconsin Supreme Court race. They didn't just lose they got their ass kicked. And what usually happens with the GOP when they get their ass kicked? See, when the Democrats get their ass kicked, they're just pointing fingers. It's never their fault. Um, in It's th- Russia. In this instance, because of how badly they got their ass kicked, particularly on the issue of abortion, there is going to be people in the GOP that know how to win elections that are going to tell them our days of running to the evangelicals for their vote and thinking that that's going to allow us to get a 50.1% majority of the vote to win a federal national election, it's not going to happen anymore. There are too many people out there who will not allow, you are going to lose. uh, That's a good point, Double K. Uh, You are going to lose in 2024 if you think putting abortion on the ballot is a good idea. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Governor DeSantis is going to do I was just going to say, so, okay, so the six-week abortion ban for people who aren't following Mm -hmm. just passed our state Senate, and now it goes to the House for a vote. Um, I predict that it won't get through there. And I don't know exactly how it'll go down, what the politics will be. I don't know who is going to fall on the sword. I don't know. What I do know is DeSantis does not want that on his desk. No matter what he says. He doesn't want that on his desk. 15 weeks by most people is actually acceptable. It's not to me at all. Well, no, but to the average voter. No, it isn't. To the average voter? I don't think so. I don't think so, but it's obviously. But six weeks is not. I have a question. And, and so because it's most isn't it true that most women don't know until six weeks? Most women might not know until eight weeks, 10 weeks. And, and even with a 15 week. Look, 
again, it infuriates me that we're negotiating how and when I can choose what I do with my person. Sure. But the difference is it's, you can't even have an amniocentesis until 16 weeks. So the idea that you would even have a 15-week abortion ban, that's just another one that you're basically giving somebody not that option if they find out something is wrong at 16 weeks, right? So you're, you're basically taking off the table, but a six-week ban is a de facto ban. And um, that's a problem. So here's my prediction. It's not going to get to his desk. He doesn't want, and I think to after, sign that. And after I, this result, I yeah. mean, how could you possibly want it? Yeah, and, and it I, isn't a question of whether he could get away with it in Florida. It's a question of whether he could get away with it nationally. He can't. It's 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 not it's not a good look. So here's here's what I predict: somebody there is going to take the hit, so he doesn't have to be the bad guy for the. Yeah, the and right. I probably will get held up in the Senate somehow. No, well, no, it's, it just passed in the Senate. It it's did. going Ooh. into the House. Oh, wow. That's even more dangerous. It's going the into House. the House. Well, the GOP holds such a more, much more significant advantage in the House than they do in the Senate. So the fact that they passed it in the Senate. Somebody's going to fall on the sword because he does not want that on his desk. So we'll see how much he's power he need, actually has. You're going to need a lot of people to fall on that sword. I'm just saying, we're going to see how much power he actually has and how much our state legislature really wants to have him be president. Because it's a loser issue nationally. If he signs that, that's it. He'll never be able to, like, that would be, Trump will march on top of that all he over the place. Oh, he absolutely will. So I, that's just not a good move. Trump's attitude is, hey, listen, I may have put them on the Supreme Court, but I didn't tell them to vote against a women's right to choose. DeSantis is saying a woman doesn't have a right. If you are at six weeks, you're you're saying a woman doesn't have a right to choose. That's what you're saying. You're, uh, again, I would argue that saying anything at any weeks about someone else's physical person is telling them they don't have a right to choose because you're actually legislating what somebody can do with their body. True. At any point. I th it's completely unacceptable. Hey, you know what the beautiful thing is about abortion rights? It has nothing to do with me. I'm a man. I can't bring a baby to term. No, it's not care. your problem unless you, well, and it shouldn't really be anybody's opinion about anybody except the person whose body it is. That's, That's the true. thing about it. So unless you're capable of having to make that choice for yourself, you really have no reason to ever get engaged in the conversation whatsoever. And so as far as I can tell, somebody like you would never have a chance to make that choice for themselves. So therefore not ought not get involved in the conversation. No, that's again, I would not argue that point. You, I think it's a very there's no point. reason for them to be involved in the conversation. But the truth yeah. is, nobody should be involved in it because it's not a conversation. Well, it's a personal choice. It's that's not a conversation. Why sometimes you really have to wonder if the decisions that are made end up in the short term being a great result. But as Jen and I have said many a times, I think the GOP is going to win in 24, no matter what. Uh, so, president, yes. So as a result of that, you know, what you're kind of looking at is, is anybody smart enough to make the right decision? That's going to be the key here. As far as I can tell, the GOP, more times than not, when they take it on the chin, literally, as they did in Wisconsin, you can't count Chicago. That's that's a totally different thing. And we'll, we're definitely going to Well, that's Democrat Johnson. versus Democrat. Correct. That's not. That's well, a Paul Fowles is not. You know. But that's a centrist normie versus someone who they keep saying is a Marxist. Ooh, he's a Marxist. Didn't work. And he was outspent two to one. Oh. Now that goes. Oh, double oh, K. What is it? Talk. Did I not no, say she's like that she said? Well, because of what? I mean, come on. They are celebrating. But we love you, Double K. We no, really it's do. a big, I'm really, I'm so tired of that being one of those topics where there's a discussion to be had. Fair there's enough. No Jen wins that discussion. Well, it's not a win. It's not a discussion. It's none of your business. It's sort of like, here's the thing. 
And I thought about this when now they're trying to change the terminology is like you're pro-abortion, you're anti-abortion. Um, uh, I'm not pro-abortion any more than I'm, I'm pro-splenectomy. I don't walk around being pro uh, procedures that are somebody else's medical situation. But to see you have a debate with I am, Walsh. I I can't with these people yeah. because I don't it's, because if I give them credence, all right. So obviously, it's been a celebratory day. A lot of good things have happened. Maybe something really good might be happening down here in South Florida within never a week know. and a half. You never know. We're just talking about some good stuff here. Uh, but, you know, for somebody that we've known in the political world for many years, somebody who has been very active, uh, Ted Victor is somebody who is definitely progressive, definitely believes in the policies that we believe in. But he is definitely one of the great uniters. That's a way I would describe him. He's one of the great uniters here in South Florida because everybody likes him. Because everyone likes him. Everybody does. I know. Whether you are progressive, whether you are moderate, frankly, whether you're even conservative, there are a lot of things to like about Ted Victor, which is why he is currently running to become the next state chair of the Florida Democratic Party of Broward County. The committee. The committee chair. You said state chair. I did say state chair. Sorry, Nikki. Didn't mean that. Didn't mean to offend. But- we need the committee chair to help Nikki, you know, kind it's, it's our representative at the state party for Broward. One of ours. One that we would love to see. Yeah. Ted Victor, welcome to generational change. Thank you. Thank you. Can you hear me? Thank it's you. very faint. No, me? now we don't. Hear, it's very faint. Do you have any, what's your, what are you speaking into? Let's see. What am I speaking into? That's, That's much a little better. better. Much better. You can hear me now? Yeah. Oh, yes. Better. Okay, I don't know what I did, but okay. All right, now it's good. So what's going on, Ted? How did you get into this? How did you get into this chaos of the DEC race here? <laughs> well, first and foremost, good evening. Good evening. Uh, today is September the 5th, correct? Wednesday, 2023. April. Is it? Well, oh, I said September. Oh, my goodness. Hey, you're months off, man. I'm tired of you. <laughs> April the 5th, 2023. Thank you very much, Jen and Peter, for this invitation. It's so funny because the roles are reversed now. I'm usually the interviewer. Now I am the interviewee. So it's been a while since I've been on social media on uh, in a format whereby I am talking to wonderful people. So thank you so much for this opportunity. And uh, we have a lot to talk about. I don't know how much time I have, but I thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. And let's just hope that we can share this interview with as many people as possible. Um, so that they can chime in and um, to get as many conversations out before the election, the special election on April the 15th in Sunrise, Florida. So talk about <laughs> right into, you got to turn, turn it down on your end or something. There, okay. All right. So we need to talk about specifically what differentiates you, why this is important to have you in this position versus other people that might be in this race. We don't need to talk about other people. Um, but like what it is that your plan is, your thought is that will help this party um, that is even dying in its strongest county in the state. Okay. Thank you for that question. You know, for, for a while, um, I'll be 54 in November. For a while, I've been asking myself, why do I have so many um, gifts, essentially? Uh, I was born in Latin America. I was born in the Caribbean. I am of Dominican and Haitian descent. I was raised in New York and in Brazil. 
And as a result, uh, I communicate with various, I communicate with everyone who speaks Spanish. I communicate with my Haitian community. I communicate with the French speaking community. I communicate with my wonderful brothers and sisters who are Brazilians where I went to school. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure if everyone is paying attention, but Florida is probably the best example of everybody invited, just like New York City. Uh, I don't like necessarily the um, term melting pot, but it's really a wonderful blend of people all over the world. So why would I be best suited for this seat? It's because I intend to reach as many people as possible. I intend to reach the mother who is single. I am an educator of 25 years. I intend to reach the students who are just about to graduate high school looking for a job. I intend to reach Spanish speakers, recently arrived people who are trying to join this American dream of ours. And as far as I'm concerned, I, I do believe the best, the person who can best reach as many groups as possible, because as far as I'm concerned, I would be honored to serve every single Broward County resident. I don't care how tall you are or how much hair you have. <laughs> My goal is to be able to just reach you and let you know that you matter. Your vote matters, your voice matters, and uh, to not give up on our party, because a lot of people have left our party. And I am seeing the last cycle whereby Florida is painted red. And I still don't believe that Florida is a red state. I believe Florida is a blue state with Democrats who either don't, do not vote or has given up because they do not necessarily see some hope. They do not see some type of reason to stay with us. So uh, when I say buenos dias, when I say bonjour, when I say what's up, my man, when I say como vai, that's me reaching out to everybody to let you know you matter. Uh, social media is a wonderful archive. It's a wonderful album. I take pictures with everybody because everybody- Yes, you somebody. do. <laughs> Every, everybody is somebody. Everybody is somebody. You know, I don't care. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, maybe it's too early to tell this story and I'll give you a perfect example. My mother is a retired physician, but before she became a physician, she's, she's, she was a cleaning lady. She was cleaning and studying at the same time. And um, she always taught me, respect everyone. doesn't matter. Respect everyone, from the president of the company to the person cleaning the floors. And so I was in probably my last year of college, and Maria, who was the custodian, I always greeted her. I never thought about it. I just always greeted her when I came in. But the last day for finals, I came in because I was so nervous. I always have exam anxiety. I was so nervous about the test. I walked in and didn't say anything to her. I went straight to the cafeteria to go study. And she walked over and she says, hey, how come, you know, if I saw, how come you haven't, you didn't say hello? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm studying for this test. I'm very nervous about it. She says, oh, okay, well, what test are you taking? And I really just wanted to let her, to let her like, tell her to just, you know, please let me study. I said, I'm going to take a biochemistry exam. She says, oh, she says, well, you know, I cleaned that department. And I said, okay, you know, I really wanted to just say, you know, thank you, but please leave. And I said, okay. And she said, well, you know, sometimes they throw away some of the old exams. And I said, well, um, I don't necessarily understand. You know, she says, well, don't worry about it. So she left. Um, maybe about 30 minutes later, she comes back with a wrinkled sheet of paper, which looked like 
an exam and I kind of looked at it and I said, well, thank you. Not really connecting the dots. Um, and I'm going to try not to get emotional about it, but I, I looked at it and I said, yeah, I know that. I know that. I know that. And I just cast it aside as God is my witness, my people. When I walked into the exam, it was the exam. I was at a B plus and I literally talked to the universe and said, you know, I need to get this A and just to not have them suspect that I cheated. I strategically got a 98%. And what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is me saying good evening to the lady, the cleaning lady. So in some sense of respect, not walking by her like as if she doesn't exist. That's really the price I had to pay. The power of displaying respect for everybody. And that's a true story. So... Maybe I have to give um, credit to my parents because I was raised right. Everybody is somebody. Everybody is somebody. Everybody is somebody. And, and so we can talk about why I'm running because there are many layers to this. But now we have a governor who says that my history doesn't have educational value. What? <laughs> No, and not only that, no, actually, I think it's worse than that, because this thing that a lot of the topics in that African-American studies AP course that they take issue with aren't even the history parts. It's just the current parts. Like, you can't even say that there's a problem with teaching your history. They're actually changing the current narrative in like in real time. And and so. And I'm hoping that you guys are sharing this because everything that I say can be fact-checked. The last week of February, I'm a teacher at MacArthur High School. I've been a teacher for 25 years. For the last 15, 16, 17 years, I've been at MacArthur High School. The last week of February, this year, the last Monday of February, my student brought a loaded gun to my campus, a loaded gun to school, now, mind you, I'm not necessarily sure there's anybody in America who doesn't know about Stoneman Douglas. Stoneman Douglas was an international phenomenon. How is it that we have kids coming to schools with a loaded gun after Stoneman Douglas? What are we doing? At the same time that the administration, the governor is giving people a license to carry without, to, I mean, to carry without a license. I got to get a license to drive, but now, Folks can carry a gun without a license. What are we doing? Tell me. I think places of worship, I think schools, I think your home should be places you can consider sacred. Where you walk into your home, you should just automatically assume you're going to be safe. I think what you bring to the table is very unique, not just because of your disposition about the way things can be done, But the one thing that Jen and I really harp on constantly is that if the Democratic Party is ever going to, if the Democratic Party is ever going to recover, if it's ever going to have some semblance of the party that it once was, the party of working people, then it needs labor leaders like yourself that are teachers, that work with everyday people, that value everyday people. If that is to happen, then a shift can happen, but only if they recognize that that is where the real difference can be made. Like you said, Florida is an economic populist state. And while it may be voting red, 
It doesn't mean that it can't switch. Well, that's what's something I wanted to touch on very quickly, what Ted said earlier. You're right. It isn't necessarily a red state. We have a red legislature. We have a populist state. Well, our, our state voted for a $15 minimum wage. Our state, when given ballot initiatives, does tend to vote populist. So to say that it's, I don't, you know, the labels is very minimizing of what actually exists here. Well, there are a couple of things that we can, is, you know, I'm a teacher, so I have like paper and a writing instrument to share with you a few things. I'm an educator. I'm a teacher. and just about what, maybe 100% of the parents on the planet sends their kids to school? Automatically, I could have been transparent without color. I could have been non-affiliated. Automatically, that unifies just about all of humanity. I'm an educator. Education is the only profession on the planet. And I hope people are listening. Education is the only profession on the planet, in the world, that every other profession must go through. Let me give you an example. After the economic crisis in Venezuela, as a Spanish-speaking science teacher, after the earthquake in Haiti, as a Creole-speaking science teacher, a lot of the students ended up in my classroom. Guess what? They outperformed American students without English. Not remotely surprising to me. I, I got it. To, look, okay. I learned a long time ago that we are definitely at the top of the stupid chart. When 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 you look at other countries, they're learning most of these kids a minimum of two languages because they're all learning English wherever you know they are. They're learning their home. But like this is we're we're like, what are we doing? You know, we're at the, we're at the we're on the top of the dumb list. What are sure. we doing? My, my Professor Elfers, who is a, a Ph.D. and a J.D. out of Nova University when I was doing my uh, training in higher level education. He said something to me I'll never forget because words have power. He says, Ted, teachers are the upper echelon of the lower class. Yeah. What? Yeah. I said, stop the class for a minute, Professor Elfers. I know you didn't intend to disrespect me, but I'm highly offended by what you said. He said, it's true, Ted. Teachers are the upper echelon of the lower class. Yes. And I said, I don't think my parents raised me to be part of anybody's lower class, but it is because we do not value education and educators. And therefore, if I have to remind the powers that be by getting a seat at the table, which is really, really what um, running for office is, I'm trying to get a seat at the table to be able to form and influence policy. If I have to be able to remind how we got here as people who are thinkers, as people who can communicate as a civil society, we have to value education. So I, as far as I know, my opponents or opponent are wonderful people. But I always say people who are in education can understand understand education better. And it is a, it is a crisis. It is a quiet crisis because I'll, I'll ask you the question. You guys are educated people. Do you know about the 60, 40, 20? When I go and speak to the community and I ask the community, when I speak at the Kiwanis Club, do you know about the 60, 40, uh, 60, 40, 20 phenomenon? No, we do not know what it is. Well, I'll tell you quickly. 60% of kids graduating high schools, 60% of them who goes to two-year colleges are taking remedial classes, remedial classes, which means that me, the K through 12 system, I must have failed. 40% of kids going to four-year colleges 
are taking remedial classes, which means that they have to take classes without credit and pay for them, which means it's going to take them longer to graduate. And anywhere between 5 to 20% of kids going to Ivy League universities, imagine, imagine a kid at Harvard or Yale having to take English over because he or she does not know the parts of speech and how to properly write a paper. I definitely agree that this has become a systemic problem. But what is possible is that when somebody like you and your voice can potentially be the leading voice in the county, that can have a substantial impact on people recognizing what the real systemic problems are and making that possible. Now, as we wrap up the conversation, where can people go to find where can people follow you or or because the election is coming up, uh, I believe, next Saturday. So this is right around the corner. Who can vote in the election? And if they would be interested in supporting you, I think that's very, very important. So, so thank you for this opportunity again. Uh, it's very easy. I have a platform, multilingual platform, broad social network. You can reach me through there. Uh, you can just Google Ted Victor, candidate for state committee man in Broward County. And I would be truly honored and privileged and humbled to be able to serve the residents of Broward County because I intend to reach just about everyone. The, the Jewish old ladies in the nursing homes, the Hispanic lady who barely speaks English, the Haitian mom or dad who really can connect linguistically with somebody who speaks the language, with the Brazilians. I want, I'm not going to leave any stone unturned. And if I have to learn Mandarin and Arabic to say, please vote for me, I will do that because I believe um, the flags on the walls of my classroom. And when I say buenos dias to a new student, or I say bonjour to a new student, they automatically feel at ease because I know what it's like to be in in these great United States and not knowing the difference between North and South. So my name is Ted Victor. I am formally a candidate to be state committee man in Broward County. I'd love to be able to serve all residents, yeah. LGBTQ community, black community, ball-headed community. <laughs> I like bald. I have no problem with the bald. The balls are good people. No. Vote the bald. Vote, vote. You wear it so well. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Confident is confident, and what is attractive is what's attractive, and different people. And it, it's not all or nothing. Like it's not like oh, bald is one thing, or not. it's just everybody is just you know, it's all good. And and thank you. And, and lastly, before we close out, I want to uh, let you all know and the public know that I started this endeavor out of both fear and love. Fear because of what the world will become for my children after I'm no longer here. And for the love of my children, for the love of the next generation, my very first um, activism was when I was 19. The Red Cross asked me to donate blood. And the minute that they found out that I was Haitian American, they said, oh, no, we don't want your blood because you might have AIDS. And oh, God. when we when I, and let me tell you something, it's equivalent to telling me that I don't have any educational value. It was a, it was an outrage. I was third year of college college and we we walked across the Brooklyn Bridge. We shook the bridge. And everyone who was there was a Democrat. And ever since then, I've been a Democrat ever since the age of 19. So I do believe that discrimination anywhere, discrimination everywhere. And I do not want anybody, anyone to feel as if they're not a welcome member of the American society. Thank you. If you are a 
uh, the precinct committee leader, and you are inclined to vote in the upcoming state committee chair. We'll be texting the people we know. Race, yes, we, we definitely will. We'll Please get out there and support Ted Victor. Yeah. He is a teacher, and he is a humanitarian, and he is a great human being. Thank you so much for coming Thanks, on. Ted. Dan and Peter, I thank you both so very much. You guys are amazing. Thank you so very much. Bye. See you guys on the 15th. Thank you. Bye-bye. He's definitely someone that I've, I mean, since I've been involved here in Broward politically, that is just very much a public servant. Uh, Here's what I will say about Ted. And for somebody who, for us, what we went through with Jen running against Wasserman Schultz, uh, there are a lot of people who either shunned her. There were those who would say that they supported her, but obviously wouldn't do it publicly. Ted was somebody who welcomed Jen with open arms from the very beginning. He's always nice. Because he always has the collective and what's in the best interest of the community at heart, whether or he's, not that is for one of the- statesman-like. Statesman-like, yes. Statesman. Hence, state committee chair. Yeah. So let's make him that in 10 days. But we are just getting started. And why are we just getting started, Jen? Who is our next Well, guest? and this is interesting because as Ted was just on here talking about this multilingual thing, um, our next guest, I believe he speaks Gully Geechee. We gotta, we gotta bring, we gotta bring Marcel on because, um, I know that it's a form of Creole. It's not the same as the Haitian Creole. I don't know the whole story, but I just found it very interesting that I'm like, huh, not often you get two different versions of Creole speaking people in, in one evening. I hope I'm getting this district right. Is it South Carolina's sixth congressional district? Is it number six? Marcel, is it six? Tell me I'm getting it right. I got it right. I didn't okay. it up. That's pretty good on my part. Danny Windham. Uh, Thank you, We're Danny. having a great evening. We're going to have an even better evening now. You know him as the candidate who challenged, dared to challenge, Kingmaker Clyburn oh, in South Carolina. Who now apparently is thinking district. he gets to bequeath his seat, as many people do. Well... Let's make sure that Marcel. Some has people think it's a monarchy. It's fascinating. So. Marcel Dixon, welcome back to Generational Change. Wait, oh, muted. Wait, hold I on, hold you. on. There we go. Hi, thank you all for having me back. Sorry, you were waiting. You know the thing about Ted is he definitely is on island time. That's South Florida. It is. It, it is, and so he was eight thirty, but came more like at eight fifty. So that is sort of what happened there. I, we it's sort of we've like, had good content, I would say, so far. We weren't getting. Oh no, we're good. Time. I'm just saying. I do apologize. We normally don't run on island time, but sometimes when hey, we, Marcel was early. Yeah, well, that's there. okay. I mean, I am a Sea Island Creole, so I know all about island time. You know about <laughs> island time. Yeah, right? Even if you know island time, you can't beat Cuban time. Cuban no way, time. no how, never going to happen. Did you know, Marcel, that there are people, like I've been to weddings down here when I was growing up. Two hours. They say, Well, what happens is they'll send out two sets of invitations. They will actually send out the Cuban invitations telling them that it's two hours earlier than it actually is. And they'll send out different invitations to the Angelo people. I am not kidding. This happens. Uh, that's the melting I'm- melting pot of South Florida. <laughs> we have each and every walk of life. But I thought it would be a great opportunity. We thought yeah. it would be a great opportunity to have you back on the podcast Obviously, for two reasons. You are running for Congress again. There has been a significant amount of change in the air that's been happening. But of course, we all know that there was a, you know, a little bit of an incident that happened uh, last week. And of course, everyone has been talking about it. Uh, Marcel, and I'm so not the one that wants to even get into it. I'm so over that whole like and. 
that and yeah. But anyway, apparently it is click worthy, so it needs to be addressed. Yeah, we can play the clip, but why don't you uh, tell us what your impetus was to go to a a town hall event with Marianne Williamson? What that was, what what you thought you were ho- what you thought you were hoping to get out of it, and what ultimately came of it. So I actually went to the town hall that Marianne Williamson, presidential candidate, has been hosting a series of them here in South Carolina. I went there as a supporter. Okay. So just before I get into it, it's insane. If you don't know how to take feedback from a supporter, you're definitely not ready to take pushback from opponents. But let me just say that. But I went there as a supporter because I actually did admire her for having reparations as part of her platform. Mm -hmm. A lot of these candidates carved Joe Biden, carved Joe Biden, especially the Democrats. People always say, well, why don't you ever talk about the Republicans? Okay, I don't need to talk about the Republicans. Black Americans aren't largely voting for them. We largely vote for the Democrats, and they're the ones that have failed us for the past 60 years. So a lot of Democrats like Joe Biden, they only exist because of the Black American vote, and yet they do things for every other group besides Black Americans who are technically old the most. So I went there to, first of all, thank Marianne Williamson for having reparations on her platform and then just to offer her some pointers. And then I was making a point at how reparations, people act like it is some brand new concept. Reparations has been done by governments throughout the world. And America has done reparations several times. And right now, as we speak, America is doing reparations. America right now, as we speak, is paying reparations to people who were exposed to radiation during the era of nuclear testing. Some of those people are dead, but they their, their spouses, if they are alive, or their children, even grandchildren, can apply to get reparations. America is doing that right now as we speak. America is paying reparations, settlements, to Native American tribal governments. So I just was bringing up a point, and when I mentioned that Holocaust survivors and their heirs are getting reparations, she then tried to shout me down, and it did not go well for her, because I'm going to stand my ground. I am not one of those recording on Twitter and cry about it later type people. I'm going to stand my ground, and she learned that Real fast. I think we would be amiss if we didn't play the clip. It's only a couple of minutes. But Is that cool with you, Marcel, if we play the that's clip? Fine. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. That's long. Well, then this is the abbreviated version. Okay, yeah, this is one thing that you posted. Yeah, this is the shorter versions, but we're assuming it's the good part. It, it's, okay. It's an effective part okay. is what I would call it. Okay. All right, here we go. That's not anti-Semitic. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's the truth. Holocaust survivors are getting reparations. That is not anti-Semitic. That's the truth. And I will continue to do so in standing up for my ancestors being speaking the truth. Holocaust survivors did get forced insurance facilitated. That is a fact. That is a fact. I don't know where it went. All I know that my ancestors have not gotten a penny. My ancestors have not gotten a penny. That's all I know. And it's an insult for the American government to facilitate a facilitation of payment to Holocaust survivors while my great-grandfather is still alive and he fought to save the Jews from the Nazis. Excuse me. It is 
because I'm Jewish that I feel so strongly about reparations. And I feel strongly about reparations for my people too. Germany paid $89 billion in reparations to Jewish organizations long before 2014. The fact that I am from a people who was wronged and to whom Germany paid reparations, the fact that I am aware as a Jew that even though reparations doesn't mean the Holocaust didn't happen, any more than reparations to mean slavery didn't happen, reparations paid by Germany to the Jewish organizations that were not directed to Jews and to Jewish organizations has gone far to establish not only financial restitution, but also emotional oh, and psychological right uh, healing between Germany and the Jews of Europe. Right here. That yeah. is what... Right here, so Obama administration has awarded 12 million for assistance to Holocaust survivors. This happened in October 2015. I don't lie and I know my information. You cut me off. I was talking. You cut me off saying it was anti-Semitic. That's not what it was. I was telling the truth. I was telling the truth. You cut me off and accused me of being anti-Semitic. I'm speaking for my answers. I'm telling the truth. I don't care who doesn't want to hear it. The United States is not the one dollar. Well, the facts disagree with you. The facts disagree with you. Rule number one of being a candidate is that even if you don't want to hear what the constituent has to say or the voter has to say, you still listen to it. That's what a town hall is. And to constantly want to talk over that person, regardless of how she reacted, which was not good. Not a good you have to understand that it, endearment is the greatest form of flattery when you're a candidate. Even if it's not what you want to hear, even if she vehemently disagrees with what you're saying, the fact is you hit a nerve. And as a as a any candidate, city council, county commission, Congress. But no, and Marcel was right. A, but this is a person running for president. And, and he's a supporter. Yeah. And That's it's literally the thing. just, like, it's like, you know, the reaction was. Not a good luck. You, you, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm thinking you're in South Carolina in probably one of the most if you, when people talk about the oppression of the black community in the United States, look, and, no, and fur- the poverty. look like, no further, look no further than South Carolina. Like that's ground it's zero. like you you have to know you have to have good instincts. And in that incident, that instant, that Not is good. that is a mask off moment. It's a bad one. Obviously, want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I was a supporter and I was a tepid supporter at best. I am not a supporter now because I realized, you know what? It is a sad thing when I am agreeing with Laura Ingram. Okay. That's a sad, sad thing. Laura Ingram said, the Democrats, if you're going to do reparations, then do it. If you're not going to do it, then shut up about all this oppression of Black people. And she's right. Okay. If the Democrats are going to do reparations, do it, okay? You've had control over the House, the Senate, presidency. She said the point she was making was that it's just a talking point they use to kind of get Black voters emotionally invested in them. And unfortunately, what you see in Marianne Williamson is a perfect example of that. So in regards to Marianne Williamson, I believe Laura Ingram is right, is a perfect example of Democrats using talking points like reparations, things they really have no intentions of doing. And may I say something real quick? Because I am sure, I don't, I, I'm not telepathic, but I'm pretty sure 
that there are white people right now. I mean, it's some black women. I'm sure there are white people right now in your comments saying, "Why should I reparations? I never owned any slaves." Okay, I before you said, I was going to address that. That's so funny you're saying that because Metalopoly, and I've said it many times huh. on the show. You can see we've covered that exact issue many episodes. But I now I'm very pleased to have Marcel explain to you why, even though my people were enslaved owners, and Marcel was not a slave himself why that's not the point. And we have discussed this many times, but please expl- explain this because I do know this. It's kind of funny because it happens all the time. It's so yeah. boring, but I'm going to try to be calm, unlike Marianne Williamson, because you know what? Some of these people, some of them are anti-black trash. That's what they are. And there's no hope for them. They need to go. Our but guy, some- he's, he will, he, this is one of our people. That right. Some of them though live in a bubble and they just haven't heard anything else than what they've been fed. So let me explain in a way that is intellectual, not emotional. One, America is doing reparations right now for several Native American tribes who are not the ones that were originally wrong, but their descendants. America paid reparations to Japanese Americans who were interned. Several of them had died by the time America paid reparations. I was four years old in 1988. That's when America passed a bill that paid Japanese Americans who were interned reparations. But it happened in the 1940s. People in Guam, okay? Some of them right now as we speak are getting reparations for something that happened in World War II. IRA mentioned the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. Uh, Some of the people getting reparations right now are not the people who were exposed to the radiation. It's their children. Some of them weren't even born when it happened or grandchildren. America pays reparations every single day to the descendants of the people who are wrong because America realized with all these other groups that the wrong that was done to their parents or their forefathers, if not repaired, the people who are their descendants will inherit the debt. So even though I may not be a person who was formerly enslaved, I am definitely the sin of a person who was enslaved. And let me give y'all an example. If I had time, I would get a picture of my great-grandmother. My great-grandmother, Justine Brown, but her maiden name was Justine Washington. She was born in 1914. Unfortunately, her parents died. This is my great-grandmother. She was raised by her grandparents, Willie and Diana Simmons, here in Beaufort, South Carolina. Willie Simmons, my great-great-great-grandfather, was enslaved in Beaufort, South Carolina in the 1830s. He was born into slavery and he stayed the slave in the Civil War. I'm not done. My other great great grandfather, Quash Fripp, you can look him up right now. You can type in Quash Fripp, Q U A S H, and then Fripp, F R I P P. You will find his Civil War pension record. He was born into slavery on St. Helena Island off the coast of Beaufort. He spelled it. How'd you spell his last name? Q, oh, Fripp is F R I P P. He was born into slavery. He swung from Fripp Island to Otter Island, okay? After he got his freedom, he bought a house. Unfortunately, the day he got the deed of the house, he died. He never even got to enjoy it. My great-grandmother didn't die until 2015. She was 101 years old. I was raised by a woman who was raised by a person who was enslaved. So slavery was not a long time ago, but let me continue. It's not just slavery. People forget what happened after slavery. Remember, the violence against Black Americans actually got worse after slavery, okay? Black Wall Streets we built, destroyed. The one that's most popular, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
That one straw, Black Wall Street alone, was worth $60 million when it was destroyed. And it wasn't just white races doing it. The federal government gave them the weapons to drop bombs on us. Sharecropping, Jim Crow, redlining, housing covenants. Those things did not end until the 1970s. My parents, my aunts, my uncles all lived through those things. So people are not going to try to gaslight me by saying these things were a long time ago. And I heard, I'm pretty sure somebody right now is mentioning affirmative action. Let me shut that down real quick. In 2000, a landmark study was done on affirmative action. Guess who the main beneficiaries of affirmative action are? White woman. Six million corporate jobs right now being held by some of these same white women, probably in the chat saying, oh, they don't deserve reparations, have been given to them because of affirmative action. Lyndon B. Johnson was anti-Black American bigot. But even he said, you can't tell a Black man who's been in chains for 300 years and other people had a 300 head start. Okay, the chain is off. You go catch up without giving them help that they were due. It's funny. um, A lot of people like to quote Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Don Martin Luther King Jr. said, a country that did something against the Negro specifically for 300 years has a responsibility to do something to repair the damage done to the Negro for those 300 years. So if people aren't going to really be speaking the language and talk about what Don Martin Luther King Jr. is about, please keep them out your mouth. And reparation is right. Now, let me say this. If anyone wants to say that they are against it, I want them to be known, be careful, James Baldwin said, if they come for you in the morning, they'll be coming for me that night. If you are saying that black Americans don't deserve reparations, but all these other groups have gotten it, be prepared for the government to do the same to you. And when it does the same to you, don't expect anyone to stand up for you. My thing about reparations is very simple and it's just very sort of like, this is where my lawyer hat goes on. And it's very simple. The government owes a debt. It needs to pay its debt. And and when people, and by the way, we've established on this show many, many times, we've had our friend Steve Grumbine on many, many times, your tax dollars don't pay for jack shit. Your tax dollars are not paying for reparations. Reparations has to do with a failure of a contract between the United States government and the American descendants of slaves and at the time slaves that were post. And I always forget the, the resolution. The point is there's a contract that we violated and at a minimum needs to be paid, period. And it's nothing to do with your damn tax dollars, whether or not your people were slave owners. So I've said it a million times. My people didn't own anybody. They were fleeing their own houses being set on fire in Russia because they were Jews. And I, I am not, I never, my people never owned people. And yet I'm a beneficiary of that. But regardless, I don't look at it like I'm paying that. It's United States on behalf of the United States owes this money. It's that friggin' simple. Sorry, Marcel. But like, that's where I just get very, like, just very logical about it, where it's like your emotional resentment about that. And the fact that you bring up affirmative action just shows that you're making this be like an emotional, personal thing. Like somehow it just offends you that somebody would be getting money. This is a contract. 
It's, it, there's a contract. It was there the 40 acres and the mule, if you want to be technical and go back to that one thing. But overall, how about we just stop doing it? Because you only went up to like redlining. What about our current justice system exactly. and our current correction system, which is continue? It's be, it is slavery. Um, and so we haven't stopped. How about we just stop, you know, like doing it? But I'm sorry, like, it's just infuriating that people don't understand when you owe, you owe, pay your debt. You know, we we had a person in the chat who just said, I'm unsubscribing. This is a crap channel and that it's like, OK, look, you know, the one thing that you hear constantly from people and we have a plethora of people on all walks of political life, uh, you know, on the right, middle, left, whatever. But the one thing, you know, clearly this person who is saying what he's saying, it's like. Again, metalopoly, you call MMT. It, you say that you're not a you say that you're not a snowflake. Well, that's about a snowflake of a move as you could possibly make. Why are the people goal by this? of disagreeing with an issue? Let's say you disagree with reparations. Okay, that's fine. Then have a conversation about it instead of saying, "Oh, well, uh, I disagree with this, so I think I'm going to get out of here because uh, I need to go to my safe space. I need to go where I I need to hear what I need to hear." Do people not understand? what 40 acres and a mule means, because anyone who knows anything about history should actually know what that means. Well, and, and Marcel can tell us, but here's the thing. Why, more importantly, why are people so threatened by this metalopoly? I've said it a million times. Tax dollars don't pay for things. That's not how this works. MMT, it's how it works. We've done millions of episodes. That is complete. Now, again, metalopoly is correct about what he's talking about regarding San Francisco, okay, because that, that is a city ordinance. That is complete. Exactly. And I, that's that's, not the that's different. We're talking about a federal legislation that just needs to be honored. It was written into law. Right. It was part of the- It's what contract. I, if for those of oh, you so. who are not familiar with the presidential election of 1876, go back and read up on that election because that's the election that effectively ended Reconstruction and that ended what should have been done. Yeah. Rutherford B. Hayes may not be the worst president who ever served, but he certainly was part of perhaps the worst the, compromise the worst yep. that was ever yeah. made. So people stop looking at it like it's coming out of your wallet. It's not coming out of your wallet any more than it's coming out of Marcel's wallet to pay his own reparations. Exactly. Okay? That's so, why I say to people. Yeah, but it's you know, not coming from that. Yeah. Um, and it's not just white liberals, but this is something that I see on the white conservative side. I hear you know white conservatives usually, and you know I am no fan. I um, I like white radicals who have a heart for justice. White liberals are a whole different beast, and I usually don't. We have don't like people. them either. Right, but white conservatives. This is why I'm gonna call out their hypocrisy. They whine more than any other group. I hear them talk about how white men are the new. Some of them have said that white conservatives are the new N-word of America. I've literally heard that disgusting comment made. They say that white white men and white women are the new people being oppressed society, and they want people to listen to them, and they want people to support justice for them because they feel they are victims of injustice. But they will turn right around. The moment you mention actual injustices that you have 400 years of proof, those same white conservatives will turn around and say, get over it. Well, that can't be done. You don't deserve it. It's amazing how people want justice for them, but not justice for anyone else. And I have been saying that to them several times. Now, here's the good news. I go to some of these election integrity events, which are really MAGA rallies. And um, you would think with my message, I would not be a popular person. But it just goes to show the people who are in the media, like, you know, the what's that guy's name on Fox News? Um, Tucker Carlson. Tucker. 
you would think people like that, it's a disconnect between them and their audience. A lot of times the audience is far more open-minded than the actual pundit who is spitting out all these talking points. Because when I go to these election integrity events, I get at least a good 20 25% of the crowd that comes to me and wants to know more about reparations. I even get some coming to me saying, you know what? If you had asked me yesterday how I thought about reparations, I would say, nope, against it. Nope, nope, not everyone support it. And some of them will say, but now that I've heard you, I have a different take. So it just goes to show we have learned people have, but you know, this is our responsibility. We have a responsibility to step outside of our echo chambers. Some people want to stay in their echo chambers and then blame Fox News and Breitbart News for what they believe. No, you have a responsibility to educate yourself. You have a responsibility to step outside of your echo chamber and to hear even opposing views so you can know what you supposedly don't agree with. Yeah. I just don't know why people are so threatened. Here's the thing. It really is very similar to me when people are legislating out of emotion and hate, regardless of whatever it is. Because if you think about it, let's say this to me is the same as people like you having a say-so about my body. That's how I feel about people who are not owed money telling people who are owed how and when and why they should be repaid. It's kind of like that's not how this works. It's just not how this works. And I think that when you, like, to me, that's just very clear cut. And and it shouldn't be determined by people that are not owed how and the nature of how, what does reparations mean? I don't like when I see people breaking that down as to what it should look like. It shouldn't be a check. It should be this. It should be, it should be opportunities. It should be, I appreciate those sentiments, but that to me is up there with people discussing how many weeks I do and do not get a choice of my own person. Stop negotiating what's not within your purview. Thank you. <laughs> Marcel, uh, you know, when people, I, I, look, at, um, I look at racism in, in a way that is probably much more aligned with what I consider to be the people, particularly in the black community, who know what nuanced racism really is. Uh, there was obviously an incident that happened the other day with uh, the first lady, the doctor first lady, who suggested that both the winner and the loser of the national championship game should come to the White House. And we all know that a lot of this directly stemmed from the interaction between Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark. Could you kind of explain to the audience exactly what the motivation was of the first lady to make a statement like that. And then obviously- Well, I mean, he doesn't know her motivation, but he can make an educated- just an educated What's your gut feeling Because we saw what the clapback from what Angel Reese was, and even Caitlin Clark was like, hey, listen, losers don't get invited to the White House. They never have, they never will. This is for the winner's circle. And the fact that uh, Dr. Biden decided to say that, I thought was- in extremely poor taste, and the apology attempt was even worse. What, what were your thoughts on how that all went down? Well, one, let me say congratulations to Louisiana State University. I am not a sports person, but I just love the energy of those girls and injuries. Yeah. I just love how unapologetic she is, and she stands on what she says, and she doesn't back down. I wish more of the Black men in sports had that same type of guts, but that's a whole other story. Um, I think the issue is there has always been resentment when black Americans shine. Like I highlight black inventors all the time on my Twitter page and I do thorough research. 
I did a project one time with my students where they had, it was about credible sources. It was about detecting bias. And they pretty much had to do in-depth research on Black inventors. We found out that some things that are credited to Black Americans were not indeed invented by us. You know, we made improvements. And some things that were credited to white people were actually invented by Black Americans. And they did the museum. I remember when I put some of that stuff online, of course, you get some of these white people in my comments saying, no, they didn't do that. They didn't do that. Even though it's factual. You have museums. You have the federal government all saying a black American man or woman invented like the home security system. That was invented by a black American woman. She wasn't able to commercialize it because she didn't have the money. But in all of the home security systems that were inv- invented after hers, all her invention is the one cited as the precursor. A black American man, Louis Latimer, a child of escaped slaves, he did indeed install some of the first electrical grids in the world. He wrote the world's first book on electrical engineering based on the modern um, electrical engineering that we use for lighting and electricity. And he did invent a light bulb that was long lasting and was manufactured as lamps that in some did compete with Thomas Edison's light bulb. Anytime black Americans are given a shine, you always have insecure, usually anti-black American whites who will come along and say, no, you did it. That's not true. Why are you dividing us? But when white Americans get their shine, which is all the time, you usually don't have black Americans saying anything negative about it because we're, we're used to it in a reality. So with Dr. Biden, I can't say what her motivation was. But I can say that in a high school, a black girl was the valedictorian and the school, which had never done this before, they made they appointed a white student who had a GPA far lower than the black girl. And they made her share that honor with the white student. And that had never been done before. And the girl who to, to whom that was done, she made a comment on Twitter about how when Dr. Biden invited the team for Iowa. It reminded her of the the, the shine, the shine that was taken from her. Now, I will also say that if Iowa had won, I don't think Dr. Biden, I know for a fact she would not have invited the girls from Louisiana State University because that is not tradition. And, you know, pass off to Caitlin Clark. Not only was Angel Reese getting um, backlash for, uh, for, you know, not only did she reject Dr. Bill, Jill, Dr. Biden's invitation, but she was getting backlash for making a gesture that Caitlin Clark had made first. Now, when the white girl did it, no one had nothing to say. Now, when the black girl did it, you had all of these anti-black American people and some black American people too are just sell on goons sitting there trying to come up with reasons, disingenuous reasons to criticize this black girl. First of all, I'm glad Angel Reese stood her ground, but Caitlin Clark even came out and said, hey, wait a minute. Men talk trash to each other all the time. Caitlin Clark said, I talk trash all the time. She said, that's how the game goes. So why is Angel Reese getting all this back, backlash when that's basketball? We have fun, we talk trash, and then we playing this over with. I think even Caitlin Clark could probably realize, she didn't say it, but I'm pretty sure even she's not dumb, and she realizes why there's a double standard. So with Dr. Joe Biden, I think that comes from a legacy of black Americans never giving credit. And when we do get credit, somehow you got insecure whites who want to feel that diminishes their shine and want to try to minimize our accomplishment. It happens all the time. That's what it looks like 
I mean, that's how it looks. That's exactly what I perceived it to be. I had a little rant about this whole basketball thing the other day. I didn't watch the game. I don't care one way or the other. And then I saw, oh, she did this thing that they're saying is trashing and classless. So I run to go look up. What was this thing that she did that was so, and I was, I was offended that they made a thing about this for this athlete. She's an athlete. You know, you don't, first of all, I, I wasn't sure if I was more offended of it from a racial perspective or from a gender perspective, because quite honestly, both, both because I have never, I have seen male athletes, college, professional, whatever. They fight. Way, oh, out of control, way in the They fight each other way, all the time. Repercussions. This girl makes a total athlete just, I'm just gaming you, whatever it is. I don't know. It was harmless. It was, it was competitive. And she they make is, such a deal of it. It is absolutely pinpointed at her. She is a, she's not only a, a very good looking girl, but she is also somebody who owns her urban style. And yes, she does. Art. And that's um, what I love about her. Yeah. She is unapologetic. And I, I, said, oh, I hope I, I said it when she did it. I'm like, I hope she, she, not only should she apologize for it, they should apolo- apologize, should apologize for, her. for exactly. asking her to apologize. Now, if there was anything that she did wrong, and I've played basketball, I can tell you the only thing that she did wrong is that there was an incident where it's there's nothing wrong with doing this, but she did kind of V-line to, to Caitlin a couple of times, but that's not what the issue is here. The issue here is that she has a swag about her. It doesn't sell well to corporate America. It sells well to, you know- It works for me because I wasn't even aware of any of this and now I'm a fan. But so Caitlin, I'm saying, they, this is like, you know, one, I'm going to say no, because like I said, I've seen men I don't watch sports, but I record, I see snippets. I see the men, they push each other, they shove each other, they fight each other, and they still get put on a pedestal. Black oh. woman, and I'm not getting into a, a pressure Olympics, but black woman, when people say woman, they talk women's issues, I don't like that. You can't package black woman and a white woman. Black women have always had a completely different, far more brutal, violent experience in America. And this exemplifies that. If she was a white girl and had done that to Caitlin Clark, there would be no issues about this. But because, not just because she's a woman, but she's a black woman. Yes. And she is urban. And she has, you know, she says people call, they've been calling her hood, she said, because huh. she has that urban demeanor. She has style. She has confidence. She's good. They're going to try to break her spirit. It's not. They tried to do it to Gabrielle Douglas in the Olympics when Gabrielle Douglas was pledging the flag and people of her stance had an attitude that was too sassy. They tried to come with BS reasons that they didn't her. I still remember that. And it's I ridiculous. real quick because I, um, I, I went over to the comments just real quick. I usually don't, but I saw Metopoli saying something Metal, about Metal you know, Nigerians come to the country and they do well. First I of all, answered him. They're not okay. NATO. Right. But yeah, I'm about to say, you know, first of all, you cannot compare a small, tiny percentage uh, of usually the upper class of a country is able to afford to immigrate to America. You can't compare a small, tiny percentage of a big country like Nigeria to all of black Americans. That Okay. If you want to make it a fair comparison, you got to compare the upper echelon of black Americans to the upper echelon of Nigeria and black Americans will be far, far, far ahead. You see, this is what I can't do, y'all. But, I can't. But Nigerians aren't claiming reparations. That's what I'm no. trying to explain to him. Like, this is a specific, like, people think that it, yes, it is a, a black issue. There's definitely a colorism issue, but it isn't a contract with the Nigerians. It is a lineage <laughs> issue. It's not a black <laughs> issue. And not just that, though. Um, a, a Niger- it's not about 
seceding. Even if all Black Americans were successful, we would still be owed reparations. It's about a debt that the federal government owes. And let me be very clear on the metabolism, because I don't do disingenuous. I call a spade a spade, okay? First of all, if you're anti-Black American, just say you are. But if you're not, then let me explain to you. Reparations is a white American issue, too. And let me explain why. You all, your justice for you is only as secure as justice for me. I always said the most patriotic thing an American can do is worry and support justice for an American who may look nothing like them, who may have a culture completely different from theirs. If you are okay with another American not getting justice because somehow they're different from you and you don't feel they are you or you feel the issue is their issue and not your issue, then you are setting a dangerous precedent. I see a lot of white people, white conservatives crying because of Donald Trump being arrested. I'm not going to get into that one way or the other, but a lot of them are now saying that there is authoritative abuses. They're saying the FBI is corrupt. Imagine that. <laughs> black Americans have been saying that for decades. And those same white people were saying, get over it. You're lying. You're just committing crimes. Even though data shows that 60% of the people wrongly arrested in America and wrongly convicted of a crime and served times are black Americans. Black men are like 50%. You add black women, it gets up to like 60%. We are the most likely, 60%, we're like 15 to 20% of the population, we are 60% of those who are wrongly sent to prison for a crime we didn't commit. We've been saying for the longest there's corruption in federal institutions, but we were told, get over it. We were told we were lying. Now, all of a sudden, those same white ones are saying what we've been saying. You know what, Jen, y'all, the problem is a lot of Americans, especially white Americans, I'm be very honest, a lot of white Americans fail to show up and show justice for other groups until it is done to them. And then they want everyone to support them, but they fail to show support to other groups. And this is a perfect example of that. Yeah, I think people just feel threatened. We're sort of raised with this idea that it's a pie. And so if somebody else gets a slice, then your slice is a little smaller. And I just, I don't think of it that way. And I also think of it's like, what's just is just. And I don't see That's how right. people getting what is rightfully theirs how that negatively affects me in any way. Like, I don't, I don't, it, it's not something that-, that It's not a threat to me. No, it's not a threat to me. If and it was done- like I just people. wanted to say one more thing about the athlete thing. And this is something that bothers me regardless of color, okay? This is, these are friggin' athletes, okay? Do you think that the prim and proper pageant queens from the suburbs <laughs> are gonna be playing basketball? No. Like, what do you, I told him the other day, it reminds me of like a league of their own when they wanted them to play in dresses because it looked cuter on them. These are athletes. Like they should be treated like athletes. And that's and trash. Girls talk trash too. Oh, uh, middle school. You wanna see competitive? Forget middle school boys. Put middle school girls on the court, and you will see more trash talking than girls ever are way meaner. Girls are way meaner. I mean, right? right. And people act like girls are supposed to be competitive and talk trash. Girls talk trash too. Okay, I've never been an athletic coach, but I've been a teacher for almost twenty years. Trust me when I tell you, oh, girls yeah. get adrenaline rushes too, and talk trash and get each other's faces too doing sports. It happens. So. Yeah. What's the feedback you get? Because one of the things I saw that he was saying, Metalopoly was saying in the chat is about how does this present 
to if there are any, I know there must be white people in your district as well. Um, what's the local consensus? Because you are not in a typical place. I mean, in terms of historically, the, the black demographic, the poverty demographic, obviously. So what is your white demographic feel when you reach out to people regarding this? One, a lot of the, believe it or not. Now, you would think being in the deep south, South Carolina, you would think the, re, the reaction would be a knee-jerk negative reaction. That rarely happens because in the South, people are usually going to be pretty cordial one way or the other. However, a lot of white Americans respect me in my district. They And one, one guy said to me, he said, you know what? If I knew about you, I would have voted for you. And I said, why? He was like, I don't support reparations, but here's why I would have voted for you. He said, because a man who will stand up for his people to get what they are owed, even though it may not be popular, I know for a fact you will stand up for me. He said, if you won't stand up for your own people about something like this, I can't trust you to stand up for me. A lot of them have said they respect me, even if they don't agree. A lot of them have thanked me for having the current. A lot of white conservatives a racist. A racist is a racist. We have, to, we have to abandon this white Southern conservative equals a racist. You got Northern white liberals who are far more anti-black than some white conservative Southerners. A racist is a racist. So I'm not going to put racist on any party or any demographic. A racist will respond like a racist would respond. But people who are just your regular people, a lot of them thank me. A lot of them say more people need to be doing what you are doing. More people need to be running for office. Even if I don't agree, I respect the fact that you are putting yourself out there. A lot of them have said to me that they've said, well, I'm a, rep you know, I don't support reparations. And I said to one white lady, I said, why not? She was like, well, I don't think it's fair to me. I said, are you a Republican? She was like, proud, car carrying. I said, you are, well, the Republican Party is the party of whom? She said, the party of Lincoln. I said, what was the last thing Lincoln did and supported? She had nothing to say. It was reparations. I said, who did reparations for the Japanese Americans? It was Republicans. I said, so as we white Republicans, y'all should be first in line supporting reparations for black Americans. Y'all supposed to be the party of reparations. Historically, you have been. And once upon a time, Republicans were the party yeah. pushing for black Americans to get reparations. So this is not something that is, uh, un this is not something new to the Republican Party. No, this, this isn't is radical. Bring the Republican Party back to its roots. And I want to comment, I see something in there about Karina saying some, uh, that he's saying that Black folks shouldn't get reparations. She's not saying it. She's quoting someone else because he's Native American and he didn't want. Let me explain something to you. And we've talked about this on the show in the past two years. Different people are owed different things. And it is up to the people who are owed to decide. decide what they're owed. And then once you figure that out, then they get what they're owed. That's how it works. So Native Americans, they want their land as sovereign nations. Eidos. American descendants of slaves want what's due to them per a contract. It's these are different cases. That's like you're suing a company X for one thing and somebody else saying, well, but what about the people that were upset with company Y? Take that up with them, man. It's a completely right, exactly. separate issue. And they don't want the same things. And we've had Native American guests on this show that have addressed this as well. So stop assuming that everybody who is owed something is owed the same something. Yeah, this is sorry. Uh, we've covered this before, so I can't. You know, it's okay. I mean, some people are sincere. Like yes. I know a lot of white Americans who they, this, the, the, they've heard reparations. Some have heard it from Fox News, so obviously they've heard a lot of negativity. Uh -huh. And some, when they hear it from me, some will say, "You know what? I can't say 
my position has changed, but I can say I have a lot to think about. Most will respond well. I think, yes, America is definitely a country that still has a lot of disgusting racism, uh, but the average American, at least, especially in states like South Carolina, is going to um, be cordial and at least listen. And that's the thing. And, and, the, and the truth of the matter is, I've had some say, again, that they respect the fact that I'm willing to stand up and just run for office, even if it's something they don't agree with. They just, a lot of white conservatives in the South, especially the older ones, they just find it admirable to see a young person getting involved instead What's of just whining primary? about it. Do you guys have, what, do you have close primary, who gets to vote in your primary? Um, well, what do you mean? Oh, well, I mean, you're it's closed, open. right? It's, it's open primary. You know, oh, South, Carolina is, South Carolina is one of the few states that still allows open. Now, they've talked about stopping it, but they haven't. Yeah, I'm, that I'm is I think huge. that's a good thing. Oh, that's, that's good thing. Right. for you. Um, and like, to me, I'm telling you, as somebody who thinks of this very just, I, I hate to say, like, no pun intended, it's very black and white. We're talking about a contract. Um, and I, I think that that's something that everybody should just understand. I, I don't, it's like, it, it, it really has nothing to do with emotion. It, it doesn't, it's justice. So I will say the response has been surprisingly well. And y'all, I've gone to, they don't like this, but they, to me, they're really just mini MAGA rallies. I've literally gone to mini MAGA rallies in Florida and, um, and I've spoken at one in Massachusetts. It was virtual. I've spoken at one in uh, Tennessee. It was in Arkansas. It was virtual. And I've spoken at two here in South Carolina. And these are MAGA people. And I'm usually the only black person in the crowd. Usually Tamara Shirley Johnson, who ran against Raphael Warnock and I, we're usually the only two black faces in a sea of like 200, 300 white faces. And we've stood on stage and said... This country owes Black American reparations. And guess what? We don't get ran out. We don't get racial epithets thrown at us. I think on both sides, and I could be guilty of this too, people sometimes embrace stereotypes. And the average person is not a walking stereotype. I have learned I need to look at people as people and give people a chance to, sh to show me who they are instead of assuming that they fit into a box and it that classifies them. Well, we know better. And yeah. We went to a Trump rally down yeah. here. I went because we were getting ballot signatures to get me on the ballot. And to me, nobody, and, and it doesn't matter what party. So we were getting, uh, there's no shortage of Republicans down here that hate our Congresswoman. So I just went to get ballot signatures, but we noticed straight off the bat at the Trump rally that that's not what people think it is. The the crazy stuff that you see on TV, the wackadoo people, let's be yes. real, that's like 5%. Yes, I mean, and they exist everywhere. Oh, They're yeah. everywhere. Right, so you know what I'm saying. So yes, and, but the majority by far at the Trump rally were just a whole bunch of other people, not black, that was definitely absent. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna lie. But they there was, there, but it was very. It was very Latino. Very Latino. Very Latino and very socioeconomically diverse. Also, um, it was very interesting as far as like, well, of course, we had a huge. There was a huge Orthodox Jewish community um, that is obviously Mar very supportive of Marcel, Trump. Marcel, one thing I will also say, and granted, you know, obviously it, it's just a job. They may not really support Trump, but. There were uh, there were a lot of uh, black individuals outside that were selling merch. And let me tell you, a Trump rally is like going to a carnival. You have every single thing that you could do. Trump shirts, Trump hats, Trump 
steaks. Right. Oh, like it's, it's it was really great. It was the greatest thing you've ever it's seen. It's a carnival. It's, it's a, carnival. a carnival. Well, he is a carnival. He is a snake he's oil a carnival, He's a carnival barker. I will well, say this. When I went to one thing I did enjoy about going to the MAGA rally is that the people there, they care. Now, I probably disagree oh, yeah. with 90% of what they, they, the views they had, but it felt, right. it was such a relief for me to talk to people who I didn't have to convince to care. Most people I talk to, white, black, whatever, they are so apathetic about things. That's the biggest, people talk about some racism and violence. No, the thing I deal with the most is apathy. Either way, white, young, old woman, man, they just, okay, whatever. I, when I go to these truck rallies, they care. These are people, and here's the crazy thing. I am in a, a very black district. My district is like 50 to 60% black. But it's still like almost forty percent white, right? Right. So, but when I talk to Black Americans about how we deserve better, y'all will be surprised at how some of them are just apathetic and relaxed. Yeah. But when I went to the MAGA rally and I spoke to them about how the Democratic Party now, of course, they're doing it because they don't have the Democratic Party. But either way, when I talk about how the Black Americans have been failed by the Democratic Party, they will start telling me things that I didn't even always know about bills that could have been passed or that a lawmaker was working on and the Democrats never brought it on the committee, they will be more informed about how Black Americans have been done wrong than some Black Americans were. So I said to some Black people I was talking to in Walterboro, everybody's talking about the Murdoch murders. I'm talking about the issues that still exist even after the Murdoch murders and all that craziness has gone away, but they're still covering it. I said to them, we should be ashamed of ourselves that I went to a white MAGA rally and they were more passionate about how we've been wrong than we are. I said, we should be embarrassed. I said, I don't get yeah. me wrong. It should be white Americans leading the charge because really they're the ones with all the power. I said, but we should be first and foremost concerned with our own position in this nation. So I, one thing I do appreciate is that at least the passion is there with them and I don't have to fight for them to care. And that's something I did appreciate. And yeah. one thing that Trump was that very- was a, can we just comment on Metalopolis yeah. comment yeah, that great we just put point, up? Metalopolis. And that is true, that and he's absolutely right that conservative people going into liberal spaces are not treated well. Oh no, and, they would and, get assaulted probably. It would probably yeah. get really valid for them actually. Right, and so it. I go into as when I was running, and I would go to the Republican clubs, and I would go. I never felt anything but welcome and and like invited. Like I never, it was very, very civil. We so I to, never had a problem we, with that. We went to, you know, one of the, uh, you know, the local, a lot of the, um, you know, the Rotary Club, the Elks Club, places like that. It's obviously very Republican. They are. And yes. what I will say is that, is there the one guy there that lets the N-word fly because he thinks he's with people that he's friendly so with? Yeah, of course he does. Yeah, but, that's the one, but that's the one exactly. guy. Exactly. You, all the people, the overwhelming majority of the people there do not agree with it. And of course, the person who did say it in my presence thought he was talking to somebody who wouldn't be bothered by it. And I looked right at him and said, dude, it ain't cool, man. I'm not it with that. It happened to me once. Uh, he didn't call me the N-word, but he came to me. He said that, a black friend of his, which is always what he said, said that the you know they are the illegal immigrants are the new N words of the Democratic Party, and I looked at him. Mm -hmm. I said, "You really just couldn't wait to say that word, didn't you? Couldn't you?" I said, "You really, you really just wanted to say that." I said, "Really, right?" I said, "Let's be honest." I said, "Do you?" Well, I said, "What's this friend's name?" And now I kind of because sometimes people will do things trying to provoke you on the trail on purpose. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I kind of said though. I said, "Let me tell you something." I said, "Next time." I said, try using just the abbreviation, the N-word. And I just kind of left it alone. I didn't say nothing to anybody else because the atmosphere, some lady wanted me to go on Facebook Live and explain to her. She didn't know about the GI Bill. 
that my great grandfather, who is still alive, was left out of it. And she said her family was able to buy a home because of the GI Bill. And exactly. that was able to college. And she wanted me to go on Facebook Live and did it. So I went, I, I left them alone and went to her because on this campaign trail, if you don't know how to not be provoked, you are easily going to derail your whole campaign. So I've, I've had people try to provoke me a few times before. You just leave a distance. But when I told the uh, the, the, the the organizer of the event about it, and it was like a week, two weeks later, they were outraged. They asked me for the name of the guy. I couldn't even remember his name because I just didn't even let it get to me. But yeah, you're right. You will find that one, usually some open bigot who's going to say something inflammatory and whatnot. There's all the danger and the crowd. Yeah. But he knows, but Marcel knows, you're very aware that that one guy, he is not the source of the problems in the world. He is not the, he no, is no. not what you are fighting. He is not the, and that's the problem that with the left, the, problem, the liberals, they get like, caught up with that and not the system. And that is the Systemic problem. issues, exactly. Yes. And that is the problem with the race grifting and it goes on much worse on the left because they uh, want you to believe that every conservative is a racist you know, animal and that they don't want anyone to succeed in this country. The fact of the matter is, a lot of the people that you'll run into, particularly at the MAGA rallies, a lot of them are working class people. They just either happen to have conservative values or they think the Democratic Party doesn't serve them in a way that they perceive working people. that the GOP is going to serve them. Neither, neither major political party, especially under the terms of the corporate special interest money that runs both parties, neither one of them is going to serve you. No. So if you think that it can work any other way other than we must create a groundswell movement on labor terms in this country in order for us to get this change that is this generational change that is necessary, it can't happen any other way. The, the working class of this country has to figure out a way to come together because if they don't, this is only going to get worse. Yeah, the people yeah. are you know, barking at the worst possible things right now, the things that could potentially change for the better are right there to be had if we're willing to put our differences aside, the people who watch MSNBC, yeah. CNN and Fox News, it is what it is. So can we let's talk for like like a second about the connection between labor and the the and black civil rights in this country? We did an entire show on the connection and the importance of like the poor people's movement and that generally speaking, when you get into um, working class people. You're, you're fighting for the same things in a lot of cases. I mean, let's, we're, you know, not talking about reparations, but just in general, when we're talking about working class issues are always going to benefit the people that are most vulnerable first. So it's like, yeah, they, they have a lot in common. And that's what we've noticed at both um, any labor function that we'll go to, that it is a not a partisan thing. You'll see Democrats and Republicans. And it's when you're talking about labor, it's pretty easy to unite on the issues. It is. Let me tell you, I think political parties are one of the biggest tools of division. Let's be honest. What is the purpose of a political party? It should be about policy, not party. The whole purpose of a political party is to say this other side uh, disagrees with your values. So you need to come to our side. And those people on the other side are your enemies. When in reality, policy, good policy is going to benefit everyone. So these political parties, you know what? One thing, when I went to these election integrity events, there's a term that a lot of white conservatives have been using and I've been using lately. It's called the uni party when they're pretty much saying Republicans, Democrats, all one party. And camera on camera, you know, Jamal Bowman and um, Keith Macy, I think they had like a little shouting match about that was all an act. 
But as soon as those cameras leave, they're sitting there going on um, golfing together. They're sitting there eating lunch together. And let me give you proof here in South Carolina. I don't care. Don't let. Don't think that James Clyburn and Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott. They are all good friends, and they get along just fine together. Okay. okay? And the, out of the three of them, the one I probably have the 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 least resentment towards is Tim Scott because he's been there. The, he he's been to the shortest amount of time, and he actually, unlike Clyburn, talks about black land being stolen. He, he even said one time, "When African Americans thrive." All of America will thrive. But yes. the point of that is they are all good friends with each other. So there is a uni party that's dedicated to looking out for each other. And I know I get very irritated when I hear a lot of liberals be like, oh, it's capitalism, capitalism. I'm not ignorant, though, that capitalism, greed, it's not already even capitalism, it's greed. And capitalism in a capitalist society, it is easy to feed greed, but really greed is the problem. And like I said to my town council here in my, my small town, Cheap labor is cheap labor. And let's be very honest, when Black Americans were organized into labor unions to get fair wages, that is usually what would spark the most disgusting racial massacres of Black American wealth. Or they will import people from Ireland and Italy just to replace Black wealth. It's always been about getting, about two things, keeping Black Americans to the bottom, first and foremost, and yet still getting cheap labor. I have said many a times, we have had discussions about this on the show, uh, but I have made very clear that when you start connecting the dots, it's very easy to see the entire field if you're willing to be ob objective about what's really going on. The reason we have a crisis at the border is because the labor movement is gaining some traction in this country right now. And what is the goal of any corporate oligarchy that controls the most powerful nation on earth? Crush labor any way you can, anywhere you can. And so in this instance, if workers are starting to get this idea, black, white, Hispanic, and so on, that we can actually collectively bargain together and get a living wage, universal health care, paid sick leave, you know, common sense stuff. So rather than give in, corporate special interests basically say, We'll just pay off Congress. We are not going to pay you a living wage. We are going to be like Howard Schultz, who speaks for the billionaire class, said, mm. I am oppressed. Don't you understand? I've kept the wages at slave levels because I want to be a corrupt billionaire. Anyone who is on his side is on the side of corruption. You can't build your moat wide enough, Howard. And so the idea is to basically say, let's open up the floodgates at the southern border. We'll bring in people from other countries that will work for pennies on the dollar, not because they want to screw you, the worker. It's because corporate special interest wants to screw the worker and is going to do it at the expense of the most desperate people on, on the planet. Let me talk about that. You know, a lot of, okay, the Democrats, some of them embrace open borders, which I know I'm very much against, but let me call out the Republicans about this. A lot of Republicans, the same way the Democrats sometimes deliberately, they like to lose sometimes, like in South Carolina, the oh. Democratic Party loses on purpose to use oh. that as means to fundraise, because fair pays. The Republicans actually are hypocrites when it comes to illegal immigration. A lot of them are hiring some of these illegal immigrants to do their labor, but that's not the thing that's the most disgusting to me. 
the thing, a lot of them want to target the people in the country illegally. Now, I am a fan. If you're in the country illegally, you got to be deported. But the people who are in the country illegally are not the issue. It's the businesses who hire them, who are taking advantage. Coretta Scott King in the 1990s wrote a letter to Congress saying that the reason we need to stop illegal immigration is because you import cheap labor is going to lower the standard of living for everyone. And yet, she never targeted the people who were coming to this country illegally. She called out the businesses. A lot of Republicans like to talk tough about being tough, you know, closed borders, deportation. But you notice how they never mentioned doing the thing to the businesses that are hiring these people in the country illegally. Right. And that's when you can tell right. if they are sincere about being closed borders or they're just saying it to try to use fair mongering to raise donations. If you are serious about um, closed borders, if you're serious about deportations and making sure that America's resources goes to Americans, you will go after the corporations that you know are importing cheap labor so that, that way they don't have to meet the demands, the rightful demands of American workers. That right. Is why I want to call the Republicans out because they get away with pretending like they're the party of closed borders and they are not. Because a lot of times you check out who's working for them, it will be the same people in the country illegally who in public they're saying they want to deport. If you are serious, you target the businesses who are hiring them. That's where the problem lies. Right. And you know that they're not serious. You know that basically this is the same where they're just using it as an excuse to hate on poor, vulnerable people coming across the border and use them as somehow political pawns in their argument. That's all it is. It isn't that they actually really care about any of that. Without question, this has and always will be a great conversation. All right, before you, wait, wait, before he goes, I have to get something and show him this. Okay, so apparently there's a, a gift of something. No, it's but while Jen, it's something I have to show him. But while Jen is doing that, where can people follow your campaign, follow you on social media, get involved if they would like to help you for 2024? I am most accessible. I'm very active on Twitter, which is Marcel number four, digit four Congress on Twitter, but I my email is repairblackamerica at marcelforcongress.com. Um, you can um, reach out to me um, via email or via Twitter. I'm also on Instagram, same thing, Marcel, the digit four, Congress. Facebook is Marcel, F-O-R, Congress. And I'm very accessible on social media, but I also check my email constantly. And either I or the minute my administrative assistant will respond. Um, I want to say to people in America, we've got it. I know sometimes there are bridges we just can't cross. And I understand that there are certain things that I just cannot support. But I want to say that in America, we have this mentality where we have to agree with a candidate 100% of the time for we support. Exactly. If I had that standard, I will never support anyone besides me. <laughs> okay. So. Right. So I can tell people, you're probably not going to agree with a lot of views I have. I know y'all don't agree with a lot of views I have, but we have to, we have to, we have to start. When I speak to these MAGA people, I start where we do agree. I'm not going to back off from my stances where I know we won't agree. I'm not going to do that. I don't, right. I'm not going to lie to you. I'd rather you know what you're getting with me than you not know. But we need to always understand the area where we do agree. And I think there are certain areas we all agree that um, first of all, the government is not working for us now. They're only working for themselves. We all agree that even though they claim the economy is booming, a lot of Americans are not feeling this so-called booming economy. 
And we all agree that the cost of food, the cost of living, things are getting far more expensive and that the average American can afford. I can go on, but there are basically yeah. where we agree, which you will definitely not get an argument from me and my campaign is all about. All right. So I wanted to show you this because, you know, I don't know if you remember when the first time you came on, I was so excited, but I forgot to show you these. Yeah, a sweet grass rolls. Yes. And and this is the thing that I've had these since I was in um, Charleston. And I was so fascinated with everything that was Gullah. Like I found it. I didn't I had never heard about it. I was fascinated by it. And when you first came on, I was so excited. And I'm just like, I have to show him that I still have these. But like, just all of it. And this was because the baskets were just way too fancy and high end yeah, for me. Very, I expensive. very right? extremely expensive. Yes. It's a lot of time. I'm not negating the, the yes. work that goes into it, but I wasn't in the market for it. You understand. Well, trust me, I've never been able to afford a basket, a sweet grass basket. I think I bought a tiny one for my great grandmother when I was in high school and I bought it with field trip money that my family had given me for my senior field trip. And I bought a tiny little one for her that she would keep her earrings in. But other than that, I've always bought the roses and I have some in my house right now. So yeah, that's a symbol. That's one of the many symbols of Gullah Geechee culture, the sweet grass baskets. Yep, I loved it. I think, it, I just like the whole thing. And I love the language, by the way. Um, that's a whole, there's so much to talk about with the I, I could culture. talk to you for, like, you're you'll one of my back, favorite people you'll be, to talk you'll to. You'll be back on again before the next election. No question about it. And if I'm driving through time. South Carolina on my way up to North Carolina this summer, can we stop and have, like, have, like, a drink, hang out for a bit? Oh, sure, sure. Okay. I'm in a town that's not, I'm not in Charleston or Savannah, but I'm right outside of Savannah. 30 minutes from Savannah, like 49 minutes from Charleston. So you'll yeah. definitely pass by me if you're going from north down to Florida. Yes. Excellent. All right, cool. Thank you all for having me again. Marcel, thank you. Thank Guys, you. candidate for U.S. Congress, South Carolina 6th District. He is running against Mr. Clyburn. So definitely get involved. And that is a great, not just a great okay. candidate, but a great person. And yes, he's in your face. And you know what? That's yeah. what people want and people should appreciate talk about an what? lbs don't meeting. mind sophie i have i am I, sophie needs to go to the bathroom sophie needs to go to the bathroom and i just texted jason hopefully he'll come and get her well not hopefully you know because <laughs> otherwise she's gonna and she's blind so it's not a good scenario well maybe but, but all right all right i'm gonna I'll I'll just you wrap so i am gonna wrap but i am going to Yes. Well, of course, if you are inclined to support our show and you appreciate what we have to talk about, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a wonderful supporter of our wonderful show. You get the Lulu sticker, which comes immediately as a means to showing our appreciation for your support. If you are a $10 subscriber, you will also get the Mansion Parliamentarian sticker, a uh, bumper sticker. You know who has this? Jordan Chariton of Status Quo News has it right above his under. under United Corporations of America flag. And of course, if you are a very generous contributor of $25 a month, look, you, the get the jersey. you get the jersey. It's really great. And you guys, we're, gonna, we're starting to, I, I forgot to tell you about this new potential like uh, supplier situation for our shirts, because if we want to link a, a store to YouTube, there's certain vendors that you have to use and none of the vendors that they use have our product, which makes me sad because I'm very committed to this, to the next level tri-blends. Fare thee warned, if you will. <laughs> but Kayla, good to see you. We did not get it because obviously we had a very lengthy conversation, but of course this is where we will close the show this evening because it is 
the biggest turn of events. Marcel isn't the kind of person that purposefully dislikes somebody just because Jim Clyburn likes him. He's very principled. I can't imagine that that would be what he would be. Whatever it is his opinion is on Brandon, it has nothing to do with what Jim Clyburn's opinion yeah, is. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I it mean, would be whatever pretty, it is. There was no way that Jim Clyburn was going to support Paul Vallis. I think that just would have been, that would have been a really poor miscalculation. I find it annoying that uh, somebody from South Carolina feels the need to get involved in a Chicago mayoral race. Well, you know, Clyburn's a kingmaker. You yeah. Know how he feels about Whatever. Himself. And now he wants to bequeath his seat. So he is stepping down, right? He's not running again. Uh, I don't know that for sure. But well, it looks like he was setting up. So he's like wanting to bequeath his seat, which is what we have found locally people like to do. Um, and it is very unfortunate. We have Congress people that actually do feel that it is within their right to decide who gets their seat next. Well, we have a bunch of those people down here. Well, let's at least show everybody exactly what let's go Brandon really means. So, okay, this is a good let's go Brandon. This is an actual Brandon. Here's to the new mayor of the third largest city in the United States, Chicago. And let's hope that this works out better than the last time because she was supposed to be progressive, quote unquote, too. Lori? Yes. Well, again, I'm saying- Big difference here. And I love how they keep calling him a Marxist. So I didn't really know much about him, but now I like him even more. I got to say it. Well, here's Brandon. (laughs) Well, Chicago, we did it, y'all. They said that this would never happen. You know, a few months ago, they said they didn't know who I was. Well, if you didn't know, now you know. But guess what we get to do now, y'all? We get to turn the page of the politics of old. Because with our voices and our votes, we've come together as one city to say that we deserve a Chicago that is better, stronger, safer for everyone. No matter where you live, no matter what you look like, you deserve to have a better, stronger, safer Chicago. A city where you can thrive regardless of who you love or how much money you have in your bank account. A city that respects the workers who keep it running, that actually values them by building new affordable housing and where the public schools are fully resourced. You deserve it, Chicago. You know I got I think he's going to for Chicago. I think he's going to be very good. Of Let's course, see. Jen went to Northwestern, so uh, Chicago did choose wisely, Robert. Uh, it's a very good, uh, it's a great result. And of course, Bernie Sanders, uh, held a mega rally. Uh, I think like 5,000 people showed up or something like that. Bernie's not even running for anything, but Bernie Sanders showed up in Chicago. I showed up in Chicago and we went to, I think, the University of Chicago's uh, basketball stadium and we had all the people come inside and it was it was wonderful. And they were there to support. Let's go, Brandon. I don't know much about it because I generally don't involve myself in mayoral races in states that are not even anywhere near me. But it it was nice to see this as as a win. I'm going to I'm going to say this and I do support law enforcement. Um, I have to tell you, he and I, he and I are on the same these threats of a thousand cops walking off the job, let them. It's a really nice career. Let me assure you, especially a Chicago city cop, 
the type of benefits that you get, the salary that you get, the perks that you get, they're not walking away from the job. They may say that they're going to do that, but they're not going to do that. So this was a case, from my understanding, that basically, as far as the unions go, was the teachers union versus the fraternal order of police. And the FOP lost, and they're they're probably sour grapes and licking their wounds and not happy about it. Um, mostly when I see people, and this does tend to come from the right, yeah. throwing around um, the crime, the fear, the, the statistics, the numbers, all of that. It goes back to me, it harkens like back to with Joe Biden, the crime bill and Hillary Clinton, super predators. Crime actually has statistically been going down over the years. It has. Now, I do know that we have seen an upsurge in certain places. And I do think that for the most part, it has to do with desperation and poverty. And so what we're looking at is a socioeconomic issue, more so than an actual crime wave issue, because uh, that's the kind of thing that we're going to have to solve first before we're going to deal with the crime. But but the cops threatening to walk off, it's like, have you ever heard of police or of firefighters threatening to walk off of a job? No. Exactly. Well, because I'll use any opportunity to kudos to my firefighters. Well, Jen loves Chicago Fire. I like, I love Chicago Fire. So one thing I will uh, say Chicago that you guys fire. have to remember is very important here about this. There is no place in the United States of America than the south side of Chicago that has a bigger problem than with gangland violence. There is no place worse. It's bad. And it's been that way for not years, not decades, generations. That's how, It's been a long time. Yeah. You would think Chicago's that bloody. you can put as many cops on the street as possible. I have a feeling that if you changed the economic infrastructure of the city of Chicago so that not everything goes to the Gold Coast, that it might actually trickle its way down, to southeast and southwest sides of Chicago, you know, where the majority of the population of the city lives, um, that might actually help. That's what's going to make the difference. But more more cops. No. Well, this is what's so interesting where people talk about, like, we are the most policed country in terms of, like, that's like a free nation, basically. The most policed and militarized nation in the world. It's not going to stop the crime. And we're still not safe enough. So, at what point do we realize that more policing isn't the solution? I'm not suggesting that we don't have crime and that it isn't a problem. I'm just suggesting that you're losing the causal link to what that solution is. It's not more policing. Let's see what happens with Mayor Johnson if he is going to have an initiative that is going to focus predominantly on improving the education system in the city where a lot of these gangland problems start from. If the Chicago public schools are not being treated or not being funded properly. Which I'm sure they're not because they're really not anywhere. So why would they be different there? Well, that's where a non-corporate, non-in-bed-with-developers You know, Lori Lightfoot said she was going to do one thing, but we all know that most of what she was voted in on was the backs of the white suburbanites who were comfortable with this woke idea of having a gay black woman as their mayor. Even though she's just a neolib, right? Disastrous as anybody. And I will say this you know, there's a lot of things that she handled badly, but I will tell you, her handling of the Jesse Smollett case. 
that was so bad on so many levels. That's where racial division stems from. It stems from things like that. When it was so <laughs> obvious on the surface what Jesse Smollett was doing, and yet they wanted to carry this shit on like it was, no, he really did. No, 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 no. You got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. He was a lying sack of you know what from the jump. It was so obvious. And yet she's doing press conferences talking about how everyone's a racist. Everyone's a bigot. Jesse Smollett is oppressed. And let me tell you, that's what gets people divided in the worst kind of way. And let's not even get started on what she did economically because it was a disaster. That would be my primary question. And I don't know the answer. I don't know her numbers in terms of what she's done for her people. But the question would be for me is, are the people within her jurisdiction of where she serves better off than they were before her? And what has she done to make them so? That's all I would actually concern myself with. Much like Smelly Kelly (laughs) in Wisconsin, claiming that Janet P is not worthy of his uh, uh, concession. Let me assure you, Lori Lightfoot essentially did the same thing when she lost her primary and said that against a black candidate who did better than she did, that they're just racist and they're just sexist and blah, 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 blah. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Same to Smelly Kelly in Wisconsin. The non-corporate public servants of this country stand up because that's how we're going to save ourselves. And we'll see what this guy, you know, so far, all I've seen about him are comments that are selling points. And I don't first of all, I don't know that he's declared that he is a Marxist. I don't know what his is or ism is. He is just willing to admit that, yeah, I'm on the left. But I am really on the left. And I will stand with Bernie Sanders before I stand with Joe Biden. Notice how Joe Biden was not there. Notice how that crowd with Hillary Clinton, they were not there. And everyone thought it was suicide. And if you think that's not enough, Paul Vallis outspent Brandon Johnson two to one. Well, that's nuts. Here's the thing that I always find frustrating is when people call people labels that they have no idea what they're even saying, right? Like the people who are calling him a Marxist even know what that means. Do, do they know what that means? Like, I, I, I'm just curious. Like, did they just spew that out because he ha- maybe he referenced Marx, who, by the way, was brilliant? So uh, that's like, you can reference, I don't know. I just find it interesting that people love to throw around labels. I don't know whether you. or not he's a Marxist, I have but read, I- I have read Marx. I have read Engels. I agree with some of what they say. I disagree with a number of things that they say, but they were brilliant in their time. Their teachings are still practiced today. The same could be said of, you know, uh, uh, again, a lot of you guys like, uh, I believe it's uh, Thomas Sewell and you love Milton Friedman. There is obviously a number of things that they preach that is very insightful and correct. And there's a lot of things they preach that right. is not but correct. But people take teams and make it be like sides instead of picking the best Basically things. saying that, oh, everything is correct. Listen, there was a lot of things that Ronald Reagan said that I do agree with. And he, there's a lot of things that Ronald Reagan said. Especially when he said, raised the marginal tax rate. He Reagan was a mixed bag who had a great first term and one of the worst second terms. Well, I, any he pre- wasn't there. That was that was that was Bush Senior's first. One term. of the worst second terms that a president ever had was Reagan's second term. And I can just rattle off the things that took place during his second term. Not the least of which was repealing the fairness doctrine. Was 
lowering the marginal tax rate from 50% to 28%, as well as the massive stock market crash in 87, as well as Iran-Contra, which we don't even have to get into. Yeah, I don't have a problem with guns. I really don't. I don't have a problem with guns. I don't have them. It's not something I'm into. My thoughts on it, for the most part, are, and I and I support the Second Amendment. I support people's right to have guns. I don't want to get into what which ones we can and cannot ban, what we should nitpick, because the truth is none of that works, and that's not going to solve the problem. That, However, here is my thoughts on guns. My thoughts are this: if you own firearms that you keep in your home, you should have. I don't. I don't care what restrictions you have on you. Quite honestly, as long as you're of age, and that's fine. You want a license to carry. You want to be taking your firearm out into, and it is no longer about protecting your domicile. And now you want to take your firearm arm out into potentially a dangerous, you know, scenario out in public where other people get hurt. Now we need to have where I want that to be registered. And I want you to have to go through whatever background test you need to go through and all of those things. Cause now you're licensed. Now you're going to be carrying your firearm amongst me, right? Like if you're just protecting your domicile and I don't break into your house then I don't have to worry about your firearm. So I'm good. And I and, and the most important thing to remember, as Double K has pointed out, the worst thing about Ronald Reagan, bar none, is he was as anti-union as anybody that's ever been in the White House. Until Joe Biden. Until Joe Biden showed <laughs> Joe Biden's like, I'll do you one Come better on, than man. that. You fuck the airlines, I'm going to fuck the railroad workers. And Melopoly, I do agree with you. I don't agree with communism because the thing that communism refuses to do is to take into account human element. Which Fair is enough. greed. And so ultimately... The best system we could hope for is a system that is a combination of capitalism and socialism. And if people can't see that the most successful nations, the happy, it's not even successful, no, that's the wrong the, word. The, people are the happiest nations on it's earth, true. bar none, are a mixed economy country. But the bottom that is line the way is, it is the bottom line is, is that capitalism cannot be for industries that are necessities, Correct. okay? Systems of a societal functioning, of a functioning civilization, your healthcare, your education, okay? Your housing, things that maintain a, a society, okay? Cannot be all for profit. Corrections definitely should not be for profit. And the fact that necessities of a civilization are for profit is where the problem is. And so there is no, and it is, it's a capitalism problem. And if you don't want capitalism to completely implode and be gone completely, you need socialism. Then you need to recognize that necessities and industries that are basic staples cannot be for profit in a civilization that's going to continue. It's not going to work. Double K, I do agree that the one difference, obviously, in the sense between true. Reagan and Biden is that Biden did not fire the railroad workers. But let me tell you, strike. let me tell you, it would have been very interesting to see what Biden would have done if they would have striked. I think and I'm have. telling you, I think he would have fired. I he would too. have fired some of them. He would have done something. And yeah, look, it's but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they still have their shitty jobs and they, they're like fighting over one more sick day. Like yeah. it's crazy. We got to, we got to, it's, it's all about labor guys. It's all about labor. That yeah. is our future. Uh, I will not, I am heading to New Jersey. I will be there for uh, five days. Uh, I will be uh, remote on Monday, but tomorrow night, you guys are getting a very special show for the Gen Z report. Jen, take it away. Yeah. So guys, tomorrow's Gen Z report. We are getting a, a couple of guests. We're getting a visit from friend Harvey Kay. Um, and he is bringing along and remind me of the person's name again, who is a Gen Zer. Um, and we're going to be talking about the, the Wisconsin election and we're going to be talking about labor. 
with Gen Z and what that looks like for the Gen Z generation and, and where we are with labor. Um, so it'll be fun. Metalopoly, uh, we do apologize. We are not going to address the Trump arrest tonight. It's way too much of a conversation. We will address it. We'll most likely address it Monday. But it's that's going to take uh, way too much time. And I don't yeah. want to rush through it because there's actually there's actually a video from Patrick Bet David that we need to cover because he did a video with Charlie Kirk. And I, and I want to comment on that video. Basically, the things that they say about Trump and then what they say about Bernie Sanders is absolutely lunacy. It is lunacy what they say about Bernie Sanders and what he stands for. Again, there's this idea that everyone can be a multimillionaire. It is not possible. A society cannot function that way, but a society needs balance and they don't believe in that. So a lot's to address in that regard. Uh, so tomorrow night. K, tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as we always do. We'll do the Gen Z report and I will be here in the studio. Um, we'll have CJ, who is one of our regular Gen Zers on, and then we will be hosting Harvey. Gen Zer. Uh, William Walter of Our Revolution Wisconsin will be here, as well as Harvey Kay, an honorary Gen Z. Well, he's coming there to lend his expertise in the areas of labor. So, which is. And of course, we'll be covering even more extensively the Wisconsin Supreme Court election that just happened last night. And then, of course, on Monday, we will have Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett of Dallas, of uh, Texas's 30th congressional district. And then so, next next Wednesday, we were supposed to have Marcel, but then he came on tonight. We so we're going to have to read. Yes, we're going to have to start stacking the uh, the schedule we're again. And of course, uh, my 40th is May 6th, a month from tomorrow. So a lot going on. Oh, guys, don't forget. And if you are in our area, if you're in the Miami area, come out on Saturday. Um, it's the, uh, what's the name of the church, the Macedonian church. This is an event for the youth. It's a, it's a, the kids are putting on an event regarding their thoughts on the African-American studies course. Um, and our friend Evan is putting that on. So guys, we have talked about on the show, but it's at 3515 South Douglas road in Coconut Grove. Be there on Saturday. It's from three to one to it's from one to three. Smash the like button, share this, get it out to as many people as you can. We love you. We appreciate you. Remember to tune in tomorrow night for the Gen Z Report at 9 p.m. We'll see you soon. Bye, all. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.